Okay, now I only got through um, 2B. Did not get through 2C. Any blanks 2B or before that you guys need? We'll start there. And who's got the microphone? You got it. But you don't need it for blanks. I don't think people driving need to know them. Sarah. Which kills for what it desires, which wars for what it covets. And there I'm just trying to take what he said in verse 2. You, you desire and you can obtain, so you murder. You covet and can obtain, so you war. Um, that's what James has said. So, yeah. Covenant with Christ. Christians break their covenant with Christ. Um. To be one, two. By adopting its wisdom and methods. Values. By loving its values. As Frank Sinatra said, dooby dooby doo. Okay. Okay. Um, under generous. Um, double-minded. Double-minded, Matthew. No worries. No worries. Okay. 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 Generous and good. Unanswered. That wasn't what I had at all. I was going, should I just read through the thing? Okay. 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 Oh, man, there's so much more. There's so much material here. Like, yeah, I, I just. Okay. Okay. Um, so, okay. Any questions? I got tons more stuff. Any questions? Um, what? what Yes, Bridget, microphone, Bridget. I'm looking for just like practically, is this one? That's good. Okay. Um, how you find balance in your life as far as not idolizing the things of the world and being able to enjoy, like especially hobbies or, you know, obviously you're big into board games or I really like literature, you know, or just reading the classics and stuff. And it's like just kind of discerning your heart issue because there are times where you definitely have to like take a step backwards like you know maybe I'm yearning for this I don't know too much and I don't know, anyway but without but, cutting it out totally because there can be that temptation too of like that's that's, that's yeah. a that's a great great question um how do you know when you're enjoying good things too much when they've become ruling desires well one thing I think the Lord is faithful with his children to reveal that to us like I said oftentimes you don't realize just how much you want something until it's threatened and you realize good grief the things I would do to keep it the things I would like we ascend to get it we ascend to keep it will you sin if you don't get it or if the Lord takes it from you and you find you have no happiness no pleasure no peace no joy you're you're Ahab pouting on your bed you know um so that'd be the, the most obvious would be that that what do you do when the Lord hasn't taken it from you I I just we've said this earlier guarding your heart to, to pure devotion to the Lord is probably the chief task of the believer. 
recognizing the possibility that our heart can go after other things. We sang prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And, I mean, I remember when Abner was first born, um, I remember, and, I, and I, I, this may sound morbid, but I pray this pretty regularly. Um, Lord, my wife, my children are yours. You do me no wrong if you take them from me. Don't take them from me, but you do. Reminding myself, I'm trying to, but I basically, this may, <laughs> I don't want to be tested in that. So I would rather, Lord, they're yours. If, if my wife and my kids drive off the road on the way home today and all die, I'll be broken. God has done me no wrong, right? Now, knowing that up here and living through that are two different things. But I, I want to guard myself. And I, I can see the things my heart sets itself on. And I don't want God to have to ask me like he did Abraham to offer up what he loved, right? So that'd be one thing. The other is, are you willing to put it before the Lord for how much he wants you? Say leisure time, board games, TV. I, you know, are you really able to say, Lord, I don't want to give too much of myself to this. What's, what's an appropriate thing? No, the leisure is a good thing. God, rest is, is right in the creation week, right? So rest is good. Um, but we can make a God of rest. We can make a God of leisure. And so offering things up to God, prayerfully working through them. Lord, give me the wisdom. This is Psalm 90, Moses' only psalm in the Psalter. Give us the wisdom to number our days, really order our days. You know, and say, okay, look, sit down with Serena. What's an appropriate amount of television? What's an appropriate amount of leisure and fun time? So, so in our home, we have a game night on Friday nights. So we have a family game night on Thursday nights. That's pretty much where we play board games because we like board games. But if I, had my, if I didn't watch, I'd be playing board games every day, all day. You know? um, and so that seems like a fitting and appropriate amount, right? Then the question comes up when other things get in the way, if I've... You know, someone needs to talk or counseling. Do I be irritable? Do I get grumpy? Like, you took my board game night, you know? Well, then that's probably an indication to me that I've, I've wanted too much. Now, your question of when do you cut things out, um, there's sort of a progression. So the Lord shows you you want something too much, you say, okay. If the Lord keeps showing it to you, it's, it's, a fair, it's a fair response to smash idols. God tends to smash idols. There's some idols you can't smash. I made an idol out of my wife. I can't smash my, you know. But um, I periodically take caffeine fast to make sure that I'm not, I'm able to be content without caffeine. I periodically fast from other things. I think that's part of why fasting itself is a good practice. You don't find out how much you want something. To go on a, I dare you to go on a, a, a um, Wi-Fi fast with no internet and no electronics for 24 hours. Kale, there you go. No, but these, but these are some ways to see, you know what I mean, um, just how much of a big deal it is. And, and God's good. I mean, there's a progression. This, all of our hearts have this tendency. I think James, in his rebuke and his strong form, is speaking to those who've, who've somehow made Christianity into something where you can do both. They're no longer fighting it. They, they're at peace with it. They, there's a term, helpful term for Israel. If you, were, if you, like me, were confused by Israel's constant going after other gods, you're like, what are they doing? They just went through the Red Sea. Now they make a golden calf. There's a term that I got from D.A. Carson that's helpful. It's the term henotheism. You, know, you can forget the term, but the concept is a pretty good description of what Israel in the Old Testament was doing, and I think for us what we're tempted to do. Henotheism is the belief in one main central creator God. It's not polytheism. It's, it's one God, but there are lesser gods who can actually get stuff done. 
So there, there doesn't seem to be a confusion in Israel's mind. No, maybe Baal made the heavens and the earth. No, what the, 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 the temptation for Baal is, I think Baal can make it rain, though. I think Baal can make my crops grow. So it's not as though Israel's constantly like confused about who the creator God is. The temptation for them is to, Asheroth can give me kids, I think. And, and, and in that sense, it all gets back to economics. They're fertility cults um, where they'd go up on every tall pole because it was phallic. And then they'd have rites there to incite the gods to become... Um, to, to engage in fertility things that then overflow in your crops and your animals would be fertile. That's kind of the logic behind the Asheroth poles. Take a tree, cut all the branches off. And, and Baal, you'd offer up your firstborn son to fire and the, th- the concept, I'll give to Baal what I value most and then he'll give me what I really value most, which is crops. Well, and there's some indication it actually works. There's one of the battles in Israel's history. I forget which one. Daniel was teaching on it recently. Maybe it's in Judges. Where they're winning. Israel's winning, and then the pagan king takes his son, king, kills him, and strings him up on the wall, and the battle turns. I mean, demons have power. It's, Satan was able to strike Jor, Jor, Jorb, Job, with sores. He's able to raise up a strong wind to knock his house down, right? So I have no doubt that to a certain degree, people worshiping these false are getting what they want to some degree. I it would seem like a bad deal if it never worked out. I'm sure they're getting as little. I mean, I'm sure they're still, you know, but that's, that's the mentality. So um, for us then, if that's the case, that is the temptation. I worship Jesus, but a little more money wouldn't hurt. I'd feel a little more secure with some more securities. I'd, and then we start, like, like Israel's call, sending down to Egypt for some reinforcements, you know. And God is jealous. I mean, what we're going to see next week is he is a jealous husband. And he wants our undivided devotion. And God's jealousy is something to delight in and something to be terrified of. Um, that's, that's, we'll get hit to all that next week. But uh, that's, that's the, the rationale. Now, on the one hand, God, because he's jealous, is all about showing us where that is. So if you're asking, Lord, if my heart's wandering, if I love things too much or not for your sake, will you show me? God answers those prayers. He absolutely answers those prayers. Uh, and he does show us. But... Um, it's if to be to be content with it to know that you're I'm going to be friends with the world and I'm going to follow Christ. James is saying no, you're God's enemy, which is not an interfamily conflict issue. I think he's saying you're an unbeliever. I, I think that's what he's saying. I mean, what does God do to his enemies ultimately? He sends them to hell. Right? He he fights against them with the sword of his mouth. For James to be like, you've made yourself God's enemy. And I think with the logic of the passage, it's why the announcement of, but he gives greater grace is supposed to be such a relief. Because we hear that in this long list of repent and mourn and weep. Like, that sounds hard. If you thought you were outside the camp and all of a sudden there's a way back in, it's good news again. So I think that's the, the flow of the text is that when he says there is greater grace, he's, he's backed some of us up into the corner like, uh-oh, am I lost? Am I doomed? No. Okay, what should I do? Fall on your face. You know, I, anyway, I'm getting ahead. That's where the, the passage is going. But anyway, now not all of us are there, but I think all of us can see in our hearts propensities that could, left unchecked, go there. Absolutely, I could love this world. Absolutely, I could split my allegiance and try to serve God and money, God and mammon. 
the person who's at peace with that shouldn't expect to inherit eternal life. That's what James is saying. Is that, okay, that's a long answer. Is that going at all where you're going? Anyone want to follow up on that? Don! Bring it, Don. Psalm 106 is a historical psalm. And uh, verses brought me up uh, a number of times is uh, he, the, the psalm, uh, again, talks about how Israel travels through the wilderness. And uh, verse 14, uh, they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the, wilderness, in, in the desert. Verse 15, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. Well, that was, that was actually a whole other point that I was going to hit this morning. I ran out of time. Is James is looking at when God doesn't give you what you want. If he lets you get what you want, in some senses, it's worse for you. Mm-hmm. Sometimes he gives you what you want and you choke on it. You know, um, here you don't have, because you're at, what about the times where actually I do succeed? That's worse. <laughs> if God's thwarting your desires, it's an indication he loves you and he's shepherding you in the same way that a husband might try to thwart his wife's infidelity. You know, like he's acting because he cares for her and he's trying to preserve her. If a husband just lets his wife go out the door to her lovers, what does that say? Yeah. This, and this is, I'm not, I, this is hard and heavy stuff. I don't want to deal with lightly, so... I get, I get excited and I get a lot of caffeine in me, so I don't want you to think I'm making light of anything here. Anything, any other thoughts? Oh, Jim. It seems simply just a question, as you put it, what's on the throne of your heart? Right. Um, you mentioned uh, actually the, the, the danger of getting what you want. And it made me think of, I think it's Second Thessalonians, where a person refuses to believe the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God gives them a lie. He sends them a strong delusion. And uh, yeah. we're all susceptible to, if not making, if not worshiping other gods, molding God in our image, making ourselves, deceiving ourselves that... Um, this is good, and um, I'll mold God to in a way that uh, he wants for me what I want for myself. Well, no, it, it is idolatry. Paul says in Ephesians 4, anyone who's guilty of covetousness, which is idolatry. That link of covetousness to idolatry, it's no longer sort of like it, it is. And so all of a sudden... We, we who may be tempted to think, those stupid Israelites worshiping golden calves. <laughs> Do I covet? Yeah, I'm an idolater. Like, to the degree that I'm a coveter, I'm an idolater. And, yeah, it gets back to um, keeping my heart fixed on Christ and, and who he is and what he is for me. And, and inviting, beseeching his help in the project, and then also actively trying to shepherd and guard my own heart from wandering too far afield, right? Um, The wealthiest country at the wealthiest time in the history of the world. Yeah. I mean, 
if you just were to add up the advertising budgets of major companies, billions of dollars are spent every year to incite coveting in your heart. <laughs> right? Billions are spent so that when you see that, you're like, I want that. And not just like, that'd be nice to have, but like, they, they want you to go to sleep dreaming about their products. They want you excited like, it, to draw that out of your heart. Like, so yeah, I, I, I think people who lived before billboards and ads and newspapers and the internet had an easier time of it. Not, not that the heart was any different, but the, the external provocations were less, you know? Um, it's like, I, want, I only have an iPhone 10 and they got the 13 out. How can I, you know? And they make they bring it out with all the fanfare. Like, I need like, you know, now I, no, for a little while there I was thinking like I nearly need, it. and then all of a sudden I'm like my iPhone works perfectly fine. What? And I was getting like, how, could I afford the payment? It was, it was, and I'm not saying that anyone who gets a new phone is doing something wrong. I recognized in my heart it was simply coveting, and I'm just like that's stupid. And thank you, Lord, for showing that to me, and I'll keep using my phone, um, much to my children's chagrin. Whenever I upgrade my phone, our old phones become their Audible players. No, because my kids devour Audible, man. They put the books on Audible. And so whenever, whenever we upgrade phones, the, the lowest phone in the totem pole becomes the new Audible. One of them is like something held together by duct tape, so they're looking for a new one. And that was originally my excuse, like it'll be good for the kids. I'm going to get myself an iPhone 13 because it'll be good for the kids. You know? Not every child is a father who's selfless like me. I'm gonna... Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah, absolutely. Other thoughts or questions? Zach. Uh, I just wanted to bring up a verse that seems like it's related that I remember like the first few, few times that I read this verse, you know, many years ago, it was like, huh, I never would have seen that connection or that doesn't even quite make sense to me, but it seems like what we're talking about, um, Hebrews twelve sixteen. Um, I got, I'll back up a little bit because that's in the middle of a sentence. So 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. And I remember the first time I was like, what? Sexual immorality? He just, you know, traded his birthright for a meal. How did that get thrown in there? But with the comparison of idolatry to yeah. adultery. Well, let me follow that up even further. That's a great passage. Let's go to Deuteronomy 29. Because I want to give some specificity. For many of us, this morning's passage is a good warning. How seriously should I take my heart's temptations to stray? Very seriously. How zealously should I deal with when I recognize my heart is coveting and straying, I should deal with it zealously. For others of us, it may actually be like, I, I think I might, I might actually have made peace. I'm a willful adulterer. And Deuteronomy 29, which is what Hebrews 12 just quotes, that root of bitterness you referenced, it, it's a citation from Deuteronomy 29. Um, and uh, here's what it says in Deuteronomy 29. Verse 18, beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to serve the gods of those nations. 
Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. There's the connection. And then he's going to describe what is this person whose heart is turning away. One who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my own heart. Again, we've got a pretender. This person doesn't have the integrity to go leave the camp of Israel and go worship the foreign gods and just never come back. You know what? I'm casting my lot with Baal. Hope it works out. You know, this guy's still in the camp. He's hearing the word being read. And what he says is, even, and he's consciously going astray. This is not someone fighting temptation. This is someone at peace. Because what he says to himself is, I shall be safe though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. Or to put it in modern parlance, it's okay, Jesus will forgive me for sins you're planning on committing. Jesus will forgive you is a wonderful truth if you're repentant. If you're like, no, I'm going to sin because Jesus will forgive me. Sin now, ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. Yeah. I'll go cheat on Jesus now and he'll take me back later. It'll be fine. It'll be good. Um, that mentality is what he's talking about. That's the root bearing bitter and poison fruit. One who, when he hears the words of the sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. This will lead to the sweeping away of the moist and dry alike. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. But rather, the anger of the Lord and his jealousy will smoke against that man. And the curses written in this book will be set upon him. And the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. Which again, you're in far... It's not good to abandon the Lord. It's far better to be honest about it than to play games. And that's kind of what I was trying to stack up today with the examples from Ezekiel 14 and Jeremiah 3. Which of the two sisters is more righteous? The one who doesn't feign repentance. The one who's, the one who's like, I'm just going to go, bye, and doesn't come back. You know, which means then the greatest danger would be for hypocrites in our midst. That would be the, the, the worst place to be. Um, and so I, I don't think that that is something we all are, but I think we all need to be willing to say, Lord, is that where I'm at? Because there's grace as a way out. It's not a death sentence. It's a, then you need this grace. So we'd all do well to, to this is part of why Second Corinthians says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the, it's, it's good period. Like, Lord, am I? totally misguided about where I think I am with you. Lord, am I totally deceived about where I'm at? What's going on? Um, is it good to think? Because when you're deceived, you don't know you're deceived. <laughs> right? So, so that, trying to, I don't, want to, I don't want people who are trying to be faithful, trying to serve the Lord, fighting sin, to feel like, uh-oh, that's me. But at the same time, I don't want people who are made peace with the enemy long ago to be, comfort themselves and be like, no, I'm fine. You know, that, that's, the, that's the balancing act of, of passages like this. Um, so, okay. Other questions, thoughts, complaints? You got more? I have another one, but... Oh, Zach, you got another one. Do it. It seemed like uh, there was a connection to church discipline with, like, the whole pretender thing. Yeah, yeah. Of, like, even though it seems really hard, or I should say it is really hard, and even though it seems maybe hard, too harsh to like um have someone leave the church yeah. under church discipline 
that seems to go along with the yeah. if someone you say you go to them and they are in sin and you talk to them about it and they're like yeah i know i should probably stop doing that and then you go back again they're like i just don't really want to stop doing this and you're like and you're still just going to keep coming to church yeah i mean why not i just i like being here i don't want to leave the church i, I want to keep doing what i want to do too it's better to put them under church discipline than to let them just keep living this double life well, yeah, the, the, the logic of Matthew 18 is that Christ intends for his body on earth to reflect what he's doing in heaven. If you've separated yourself from the Lord and are walking in darkness, and if you will not heed calls to return, then it is good for Christ's body on earth to mirror that separation. Or to put it another way, you're trying to tell yourself it's not that bad. You're, you know, um, you're rationalizing. rationalizing. It's okay. You know, um, and you're telling yourself everyone struggles with stuff. Well, you're not actually struggling. You're going back again and again and again and again and again. We can't help you in that rationalization. And at a certain point, if you tell us, stop talking about this, man, stop. Ta- yeah, I know. I got to stop talking about it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Then we got to be like, brother, it doesn't look like you actually want to follow Jesus. It looks like you want to follow what you want to follow. And then if you're like, stop talking to me still, then Okay you're not acting like a, a Jesus follower. And so we're over here and you want to rejoin us. We'd love to see you, but like we, we can't continue to pretend you're a Jesus follower when clearly you're not acting like one. I mean, so church discipline isn't saying somebody's an unbeliever. What we're saying is you're not acting like a believer. You're refusing to act like a believer. And so we think at the very least, there's a separation between you and the Lord due to your sin. There may ultimately be a separation because you're not a believer. But either way, Christ's body on earth will reflect Christ in heaven. I mean, that's what Jesus said. Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been bound in, loosed in heaven. There's going to be a continuity when it's done properly between what Christ's body on earth does and what, is, what the head in heaven is doing, right? What we don't want to do is welcome someone to the fellowship, tell them everything's fine, who's really warring with their God. That's not helping anybody, right? That's like going to the pagan peoples and saying, it's okay, every road gets you there, you're going to be fine. It's what they want to hear. It'll damn them, but it's what they want to hear, right? So we've we got to love someone enough to say, we, we think there's a, a life or death spiritual issue going on with you right now. <laughs> right? No, no. Good point. Next question, thoughts? Oh, Matthew. Matthew. Thanks. Uh, I can't remember the names of the various heresies that this came from, but I'll bring to mind the the groups in, uh, I think it was Asia Minor, that when they heard the teaching of election, they were like, hey, well, if we're elected, it doesn't really matter what we do, we're going we're gonna to end up there anyways. And there was another heresy that said, we can sin as much as we want, as long as we, you know, come and for, like, apologize, basically. And they would just habitually, you know, have that. I think some of the epistles were written specifically to address that. Like, do not keep sinning so that grace may abound. Yeah, Paul, Paul anticipates, shall we sin that grace may abound? By no means. Which is way too weak. Um, of a statement. The, the Meganetai in Greek is the absolute strongest negation you could make. I mean, um, the only English examples I could find would be mildly coarse, but like heck no or something. I mean, it'd be like, it's more like at that strength, like, you know what I mean, um, of, of a negation. Um, by no means. If you say it like that, like weighty, it gets it. But if you're like, by no means, it's too light. If you, if you can be like, by no, you know, and rip your clothes, <laughs> then you get the idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, absolutely. 
Yeah, no, and the, and the balancing law and grace has always been a challenge for the church. There's two errors, right? One, we, we think that being faithful and obedient earns us, merits us God's love and God's acceptance. So that's, that's the danger of the Judaizers and, and the Jews, and Galatians deals with that. But this other notion that because we're saved by grace through faith, you can live your life however you want and it's fine, is equally damaging. I mean, both of those will shipwreck you, you know. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's a tightrope walk here. Um, but what you, really, to put it really simply, in my marriage, I have to guard my heart to keep it directed towards my wife. And sometimes um, when I'm walking around or whatever, my heart will be pulled somewhere. And that's, that's a struggle I've got to be engaged in. What I can't do is decide I'm okay with that and decide I'm going to be unfaithful to my wife and not recognize that I'm, I'm an unfaithful husband at that point, right? Um, and so I think for the Christian, we're going to struggle with sin. What we can't do is make a peace treaty with sin and say, I'm going to do both and think that's okay. That, that, those, those dogs don't hunt. Like, that's not going to work. And so um, James is, is, I think, his strongest words are to such people that would think I can do both. Now, this is fine. This is okay. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's what's going on. Any other questions or thoughts? Sarah, sister your twin sister. Okay. So I was thinking when Bridget asked her question about how do you know when you're wanting something that you don't have too much? So you mentioned things like marriage or children, and I was thinking about like success and things like that, yeah. that they're good things, but how do you know when you're making that thing that you don't have an idol? Um, usually as it affects other things in your life. Um, I've, I've known people who've wanted children so much they couldn't bear to be around people who had them. That's probably a good, if you can't rejoice, if I want something, but I can't rejoice in you getting the thing I want, because I don't have it. I can't rejoice with you, then that's a problem. If I want to get married and I can't rejoice that the Lord brought you a husband, that's, I can't go to your wedding because I am so want to be married, that's a problem. Like so, so the second it starts interfering, one clear sign, the second your desire for this thing, because desire can be strong, man. I mean, uh, people with sick family members, people who husbands who want to provide for the family. I'm not trying to make it sound like it's wrong to have a strong desire for something. It just needs to be subordinate to Christ and what he calls on you to do. Um, you, you can tell when what Christ calls on you to do, you're not willing or able to do, right? Um, so if, uh, if, if not having what you want, you're not able to rejoice even as you're weeping so the biblical picture isn't it's rejoice or weeping paul says outwardly we're being destroyed inwardly we're being renewed right so my friend chris who just lost both his parents is absolutely deeply grieving he did not love them too much if he can also turn around and say god you are good you did me no wrong and and you know what you're doing if on the other hand he were to say lord how can you do this to me i've done all these things for you why would you do this to me well, now, now, now we've crossed a line, right? So I don't want to suggest it's, it's not simply a matter of the strength of desire. I mean, I believe he's in deep, deep broken sorrow, and he should be. Death is awful. Death is, is alien 
foreign. We should not ever be at peace with death. It's, 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 it's absolutely wrong that things die. Absolutely wrong. Um, and we should hate it. And it should be subordinate to Christ. So that, that'd be one test right there. Uh, the other one I gave is, will you sin to get it? Will you justify bending the rules to get it, right? Like, here's a simple example with board games. We use a board game example. I want to win. Will I cheat to win? Well, the person who says I'll cheat to win says I, I'm willing to be dishonest. I, it's worth it enough to win to be dishonest, to be unfair, right? Okay, so if, if I'll sin to get it, that's a good sign that it's wrong. Um, we talked about it, will I sin if I don't get it? And will I sin to keep it? If you threaten what I want, will I fight you, right? Um, and that's, that's, sometimes where we, that's sometimes where we can get into trouble. We suspect we might want something too much. Someone suggests we consider, are you watching too much TV? Are you playing too many board games? Are you watching, whatever. And instead of being like, I don't know, maybe let's get on our knees and ask the Lord. Like, leave me alone, back off. <laughs> you know, I don't want to examine this. Well, that's probably a good sign too that something's up. Um, and, and, and our hearts are deceitful and wicked. We can't, I mean, the real, the real challenge would be be on your guard, be aware, be offering things up to the Lord. We, we get in the Psalm, Psalm 19 and Psalm 139. Lord, search my heart, test it, and show me if there's any evil way, if there's any way departing from you. Like, all these things that I like could become idols and could carry my heart away. All of them, right? You just need to be aware of that. And then, Lord, before it gets out of hand, can you show me? And, and God, as a faithful husband, will, right? I mean, the very next place in James, do, do you not know the Scripture speaks to no purpose? The Scripture does not speak to no purpose. It said he jealously yearns for the spirit that he's put within us. God is fully on board with the project of his wife's faithfulness, fully on board with that project. So I, I think you have to really harden your heart eventually to ignore this. Because God is, is going to bring it to his children's attention. He is going to um, bring it to his wife's attention. And so this isn't something you're to accidentally, oh, I didn't see it happen. Like, you're going to have to harden your heart and resist um, to, for that to happen. Now, for our hearts to begin to slide and move, oh, that happens probably for me 20 times a day. I've got to catch myself, you know. Um, so does that help at all make any sense? Yeah. Okay, okay. Dawn, right behind you, Sarah. Perhaps another uh, uh, check is how does it affect my relationship with God? Mm. How, uh, my my love for God, my my desire to do His will. Is mm. it you know, uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, or is it My will be done in heaven as it is on earth? Um, right, right. And the other stuff because these things are all connected together, pleasure coveting desire if I'm fighting with other people in the body that's another good sign if I'm quarreling with other people because James is, is pulling the, the thread all the, all the way you know what I mean so it's the, sa the same thing that fuels earthly wisdom is the same thing that fuels our conflict with each other is the same thing that causes us to commit spiritual adultery so wherever you see signs of it rooted out with no showing no quarter does that, does that make sense sarah so if you find yourself quarreling with matthew about something we've this this was the, this is the part for me of mitchell's text last week this has become such a bread and butter thing for me 
if there is conflict, if, if um, Corey and I get into conflict or Jim and I get into conflict, at least one of us, probably both of us, want something. And we're not really dealing with it until we deal with what we want. So, so often, um, we know that the angry word was wrong, and, and the Spirit convicts us, and we go in and say, Jim, I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry I told you to get lost or get out of my face. But really, the question would be, what was it you wanted that you're willing to fight with me for? And, and we've got to take the next step and figure out, well, what, what was it that was more important to me than treating Jim with courtesy and kindness? What was it that I wanted that I thought justified me being a jerk to him? Well, that's what I was fighting for. I, I, it's good that I recognize I shouldn't have fought with you with my mouth. But what was I fighting him for? And until I can deal with that, I'm, that, that tree's going to keep bearing fruit, and you keep picking the thistles off the tree... And good, that's a good thing to do, right? When you catch yourself sinning with your speech, when you catch yourself becoming angry, it's good to deal with it. But you got to deal with the root of it um, before you're going to start making any success. So, like, let me give you, let me give an example. Let me flesh out. Um, let me flesh out an example. I'm drive. We'll take the driving to work one, right? And I'm becoming more and more angry on my way driving to work because I'm stuck behind a tractor. And I'm, well. There can be a lot of reasons, a lot of things I want, right? I mean, this is where the human heart can be different. Five people could be angry in traffic for five different reasons. <laughs> Maybe it's simply the fact that this isn't what I want, and I deserve to have unfettered, uncongested traffic ways. It's just pure self-righteousness. I had a plan. My plan was to get there at this time. He is thwarting my plan. King Jeremy is sore in his wrath. And King Jeremy... Well, imagine what he would do to this fool. If only he knew who I was, and if only, you know, and that's, that's one thing. So, like, if that was what I was dealing with, it would be like, dude, you, you're proud. You're self-righteous and proud. Then you can start dealing with self-righteousness and pride everywhere it crops up, not just when you get angry and you're stuck behind the track. Now, for someone else, I'll give you another example. Maybe it's I dread the look Pastor Daniel's going to give me when I show up 15 minutes late. Well, now I'm dealing with the fear of man. And what's really being revealed is I'm becoming angry because I don't want to feel the shame of showing up late. I don't want to, to have my coworkers look down on me. I don't want Greg Sweet to send me an email. I don't want... Um, oh, he will. Um, and, uh, and I don't want that, which is fine not to want. This gets back. That's not a bad thing not to want, right? I so much don't want it, I will become angry and, and just that now, again, this is making apparently the fear of man. Apparently, I don't want to show up on time to honor God. I want to show up on time to honor me or to flip it around. I don't want the dishonor of showing up late, not for God's sake, but for mine, right? It's not about the Lord. I want to be a good steward and a good testimony. I want to be faithful. But the anger is coming out of something else. The anger is coming from, and I don't, Jeremy doesn't want to be ashamed. Jeremy doesn't want to look ridiculous. Jeremy doesn't want to be lowered in the sight of other people. Right? And so you could go through other reasons why things are, why, why that is. But until you figure out what it was you really wanted, and maybe the heart is an amalgamation of all of them. I want things to go my way because I think I deserve it, and I don't want people to think I'm stupid. Yes. Microphone. Perhaps these all fall under an umbrella called selfishness. 
Well, he's going to say, he's going to humble yourself. There's a sense of all of this is rooted in pride. All of it. Yes. I don't know if that's totally helpful just because then if lust is pride and anger is pride and yes, it all is connected with pride. Yeah. What I want, what I think is best, what I think is important, what I think the right way is, what I think should happen, what I think is best. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, it gets back to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, hey, do you want to know for yourself or do you want to trust God? I want to know for myself. I don't want to have to take his word for it. I might have a different opinion. Right? I mean, that's ultimately. Okay. And yet, we're never going to get to read Ezekiel 16. Um, Let's go to Ezekiel 16. I want to read Ezekiel 16. Um, (laughs) My loyal subjects, turn to Ezekiel 16. Well, no, I made this point in this sermon. I I truly believe this. Um, This is not an insight I gained myself. John Piper had a conference called Sex and the Supremacy of Christ, which his two main session messages were phenomenally good. And he asked the question, why did God put within us such a powerful drive connected with emotions, connected with feelings of fulfillment? Um, why, why do this? What's the purpose in that? If God does everything for his glory and everything for good, why? why? I mean, people will destroy their lives over sexual passion. People will destroy their families and their jobs and everything, right? And his answer is, so that when it comes time for God to speak, about both the beauty of our relationship with him covenantally and the horror of our faithlessness, there are examples that can be used. It's a profound answer. God, he's saying God made us sexual. He made, we know he made marriage to image Christ in the church. So he's just taking that logic and expanding it. And he's, he gave us this powerful passion that can consume us so that there would be metaphors available. I think Ezekiel 16 does exactly that, backs this up. Um, so Ezekiel 16 is simply the story of how God saved the people of Israel in Jerusalem. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and that say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, your origin and the birth are of the land of Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite. Your mother was a Hittite. It was a Jebusite stronghold. Jerusalem was, um, it's, it doesn't have this pedigree, right? Um, And for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things, to have to out of compassion for you, but you were cast out in the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born, left to, to die from exposure. This is an unwanted child. When I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood, live. And I said to you in your blood, live. I made you flourish like a plant of the field. And you grew up and became tall and arrived at full adornment. Your breasts were formed, your hair had grown, you were naked and bare. When I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord. And you became mine. And I bathed you with water and washed off your blood from your anointing from you and anointed you with oil. I clothed you also with embroidered cloth and shod you with fine leather. I wrapped you in fine linen and covered you with silk. 
and I adorned you with ornaments and put bracelets on your wrists and a chain on your neck. I put a string on your nose and beautiful earrings in your ears and a beautiful crown in your head. Thus you were adorned with gold, silver. Your clothing was of fine linen and silk and embroidered cloth. You ate fine flour and honey and oil. This is his description of him saving and loving and, and exalting Israel, which is a beautiful picture, which sets up the horror of the second half of the chapter, which we don't have time to read all of it, but we'll read a little bit of it. Verse 15, but you trusted in your beauty. And you played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. Your beauty became his. You took some of the garments and made for yourselves colorful shrines and on them played the whore. The like has never been nor ever shall be. You also took your beautiful jewels of my gold and my silver, which I had given you and made for yourself images of men and with them played the whore. And you took your embroidered garments to cover them and set my oil and my incense before them and also my bread that I gave you. I fed you with fine flour and oil and honey and set before them for a pleasing aroma. And so it was, declared the Lord. And you took my, your sons and your daughters whom you'd born to me. These you sacrificed to them to be devoured. Were your whorings so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering of fire to them? And on all your abominations and your whorings, you did not remember the days of your youth when you were naked, bare, wallowing in your blood. And after all your wickedness, woe, woe to you, declares the Lord. You built yourself a vaulted chamber and made yourself a lofty palace. If you keep going, it just gets worse. She eventually pays her lovers to come be with her. And God says that... This is worse than at least a whore gets paid. You were paying your lovers. And it's such a horrific picture. And Piper's suggesting our spiritual unfaithfulness, our dalliances with other gods and lovers, we don't understand how ugly and awful it is. Sex exists in part, marriage exists in part, that there would be pictures and metaphors to draw on that might begin to express how awful this is. You read Ezekiel, because he'll just go on for like four more. One of the reasons why I don't know how to preach through Ezekiel is you'd have like you faithless whore part 12. No, you would, because there's just, no, you would. And, and I just would imagine that would be different. But with his repetition of this, what do you get? We don't take our sins seriously enough. We tell ourselves it's not that bad, which is why you get, no, 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 I'm not done with you. It's worse than you think. It's worse than you, it's worse. No, no, seriously. And you finish chapter, go home and finish 16. See if it's not so. It, chapter 16 is a rough chapter. Um, and there's others like it in Ezekiel and other passages. And so it's, it's, it's a t difficult reminder, but I think it's critical because if we'll take it seriously, and the whole logic is take it seriously because there's real medicine to treat it. Tr take it seriously because he gives more grace. But you're not going to avail yourself of the grace if you're like, yeah, it's okay. I don't have a big problem. I'm okay. You know, so, so it's, it's ultimately loving. It's, it's, it's loving to help somebody who's got a curable disease that's deadly realize they have a curable disease. Then it is to tell them, no, you look fine. It's okay. We're all good. Anyway, we'll break you there, and we'll see you all next week, next time.